going to get into John chapter 10 and then have communion. And so I want to uh, open us up in prayer. Father, I thank you for the privilege that we have of digging into your word. And Father, I pray that you would guide us and, and lead us as we open up your word this morning. We thank you, Lord God, that you have given us a, a message from yourself. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, just open up our ears as we, as we get into it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we want to talk about embracing abundance, embracing abundance. And we're going to do that from John 10, 1 through 21. And uh, I want to lead you into a kind of a, a thought experiment right now. And in this, th this thought experiment, I want you to envision three different kinds of abundance. All right, you ready? Take a look at the screens. Here's type one abundance. This is the home of Tom Brady and his wife, whose name I can't pronounce. Uh, that home is 18,000 square feet, and it was recently listed at $40 million. That is one level of abundance. By the way, they, that's one of, I think, seven homes they have, and all seven of their homes are in the best parts of the best cities around the country. That's one kind of abundance. Here's another kind of abundance, and this abundance is athletic abundance. The first abundance was affluence abundance. This is athletic abundance. Serena Williams is a phenomenal athlete. And uh, every time I watch her play, I think she, she is, she's incredible with what she's able to do. Uh, to date, she has won 21 Grand Slams, 72 WTA titles, made $84 million in prize money, and she's made the switch from athlete to entrepreneur, and now she and her, wife, and her sister own, are part owners of the Miami Dolphins. That's another kind of abundance. We've got affluence-style abundance. We have athletic-style abundance. Here's a third kind of abundance, and this is family abundance. Uh, there was an article recently, a study recently on families, and strong families more and more are striving to take exotic family vacations. So Family Fun Magazine did a study on, on what made parents happy versus what made kids happy, and parents and kids don't often agree on much. But what they did agree on was we like taking really cool vacations. And vacations were the thing that magnified overall happiness within the family. So there's another kind of abundance. Having a tight family that is taking really fun and cool vacations. Now, if you could pick any one of those three aspects of abundance, what would you pick? Affluence? Athleticism, tight family. I know what some of you are thinking. I want all three. I want all three of those. And why, why shouldn't I have all three? Right? I mean, we live in, a, in an affluent country. Why shouldn't I have all three? Well, guess what? You can't have all three. We live in a fallen world, and life in a fallen world sometimes is very unpredictable and difficult and while we might want to have it all, we know that there are some things we're just not going to be able to have. And I, I want you to think about a completely different order of abundance. And I'm going to put it on the screens, and I, 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 want, I want to explain it. This different kind of abundance is not the kind of abundance that you can see and taste and touch and feel. 
It is the kind of abundance that is a deep internal wellness of soul. The reason why I picture it like a river is because Jesus in John chapter 7 pictured spiritual abundance like a river. And the kind of abundance that Jesus uh, is loving to produce is that abundance of the soul where any number of things could be happening on the outside. And yet on the inside, you can say, you know what? It's well with my soul. I'm doing good. It's well with my soul. That's the kind of abundance that transcends finances, fame, and family. It's the kind of abundance that uh, even if you're going through a bad time, you can still say, okay, it's bad. (laughs) But you know what? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. That's the kind of abundance that is described in John chapter 10. And Jesus describes this abundance as the abundance of a shepherd providing something for his sheep. Now, I know that makes no emotional connection to you in the year 2018, right? Because how many of you are shepherds? Okay, none. No shepherds. And yet, this was a fantastic picture in the Bible, and I want to show you how Jesus pours out abundance on his people. So what we're going to do is tell the story, and then we're going to dig into the details. Okay. In the story, in John 10, 1 through 21, Jesus uses two I am statements to show that he is the way to real life and the way to abundance. And he starts off like this, truly, truly, I say to you that he who does not enter by the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them all out, all all his own, when he's brought all his own out, uh, he goes out before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Now, to understand the story, we've got to go back into chapter 9 and recall the account of the man born blind. So remember, in Jerusalem, there was this man with no eyesight. From his earliest years, his world was completely dark. And from his earliest years, therefore, he was judged as a sinner because that's the theology of the ancient world. If you were born with some congenital defect, you had sinned in a past life perhaps, or maybe your parents had sinned. And so here's a man whose life was filled with shame, darkness, and difficulty. And he meets Jesus, and everything completely changes. He goes from blindness to sight. He goes from darkness to light. He goes into a future that is completely open to him now, and things are very exciting. But that posed big problems. It posed political problems because the Pharisees looked at him. He had been born, they thought, a sinner, And now, he says, the guy who healed me is Jesus. Well, that was a problem because the Pharisees had said, anybody who confesses Jesus is going to be put out of the synagogue. That was economic disaster for a family because your your friends were there, your business associates there, your social friends were there, your family was there. If you got put out of the synagogue, you were in big trouble. So here's a guy who's lived his whole life rejected by the religious leaders, and now he's healed And he's still rejected by the religious leaders. 
So you see this guy who his life is now all open to him, and now he's still rejected. So who's going to accept this guy and now bring him into the fold, so to speak, and minister to him? Well, that guy is Jesus. Jesus is going to now lead him and minister to him. Jesus is the receiver and the lover and the healer of broken people. And Jesus loves to take people who are broken, like the man born blind, and bring them into a place of abundance. In John chapter 10. Well, how how does he do that? Well, now Jesus gives us three pictures to show us how. Picture number one is that Jesus has a voice that beckons us from brokenness to, to abundance. A voice that beckons. A voice, a voice that, that leads. So, John 10.4, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow them, for they know his voice. He's got a voice that beckons. Well, in the ancient worlds, um, what, the ancient world, what shepherds did was they got to the sheepfold at dawn. Here's an ancient sheepfold. And they would go into the sheepfold, and they would see the sheep, and they would put a hand on their head and lovingly stroke their head, call the sheep by name, call another sheep by name. They would call another sheep by name, and pretty soon they had laid their hands on all the sheep, calling them all by name. And how, how did they do that? I was leading the third through fifth grade class here at Grace about a month ago, and my third through fifth graders said, how did Jesus know the names of all those sheep? And I, I asked them, how many of you have, have had two dogs who were the same breed, like two German shepherds or two golden retrievers? I said, could you tell the difference in those two dogs? Oh, yeah. How? Well, we grew up with those dogs. The same thing with the shepherds. They could discern the differences in each individual sheep and call them by name so that those sheep would respond to their, their voice. What that tells us is that in God's sight, you are not a number in this vast swarm of humanity, 7.5 billion strong around the world. You're not a number. You're not, he knows you, and he knows you by name. He calls you by name. You are a significant person in his sight as if you were the only one. So then what the shepherd would do is the shepherd would, would lead his flock with a distinctive call, maybe a whistle, and he would lead out of the sheepfold, and he would begin to walk, and he would begin to travel, and the sheep would begin to follow him, listening to his voice, and that voice to them was a sign of love. Now, let me explain that just, just for a second. There are times when Cindy and I have a lunch appointment with somebody in the church or somebody outside the church. Say that I'm at Painted Horse one day. Say it's a Tuesday at lunch. I'm at Painted Horse, and I'm, I'm at the top of the restaurant. And say Cindy has an appointment at Painted Horse, and she is on the other side of the restaurant. There have been times where I have taken my, my first bite and heard Cindy's distinctive clearing of her throat, which I've heard for 40 years. It is very distinctive to me. 
And there'll be times where I'll, I'll be taking my first bite and I'll think, oh, my wife is here. My wife is here. A couple of times she's sent me a note. I think I was at to lunch with, with Jeff with you and she sent me, sent me a note. Like, but I'm attuned to my wife's voice. How can that be? Love is attuned to the voice of the beloved. Many years ago when our kids were eight, six, four, and one, we were in Baltimore. We were in the back of the Costco in the frozen meat section. And all of a sudden I said to Cindy, where's Caleb? We looked around, no Caleb. Caleb was four. We were always losing Caleb. Well, what happened was I had heard this little voice in my head, Dad, where are you? Dad, where are you? Now, my other son's in my backpack, in my, my backpack, he's one, and I start racing toward the voice. He gets louder and louder and louder, and pretty soon, Caleb is at the front of the Costco with the manager saying, Dad, where are you? And I think to myself, how in the world did I hear the voice of my son in Costco, which is 200,000 square feet? I looked it up on the internet, 200,000 square feet, most Costco's, average, average size. 200,000 square feet, and it's Saturday morning, and it's bustling and big and crazy. How did I discern my son's voice? Because he's my son, right? And the thing about Jesus with this voice that beckons is that Jesus is a safe leader for you to follow. He's a safe leader. He's a loving leader. He's a kind leader. That man who was born blind, that man who was rejected by the Pharisees, that man who was rejected before he got healed, rejected after he got healed, that man is looking for somebody to lead him. He looks at Jesus and he realizes that guy's a safe leader. I can be led by him into places of abundance. I would just say to you, if you have any doubts about that, and I know a lot of people who end up having doubts about that, they think, okay, is, is Jesus really a safe leader for me. I remember a friend telling me, you know, I I'm not going to follow Jesus because if I do, he'll probably send me to Africa as a missionary, and I don't want to go there. That, that was this back in the 1970s, you know, when, when Africa symbolized s something that was more distant than it does today. He said, I, I, I just don't want to do that. He didn't see Jesus as being a safe leader. Jesus is a safe leader in the sense that he wants to lead you into what is genuine abundance. Not false abundance, but genuine abundance. Now, Jesus is not only does, has a voice that beckons, but Jesus is the door that opens. And I, I love the beautiful way that uh, he puts this here. Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come be, came before me are thieves and robbers. He's talking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the other illegitimate religious leaders. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. He repeats the I am statement. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out, like in and out of the sheepfold, and find pasture. Now, I probably don't need to remind you, this is the third time in the Gospel of John where Jesus has used an I am statement. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door to the sheep. Jesus is saying, I am God, and as God, I have ministries 
that will transform your life. And one of the ministries that I have is this ministry of being the door. So in what sense is Jesus the door? Well, in the ancient world, shepherds were literally, I mean literally the door of the sheepfold. Take a look at this. I hope you can see that there's an ancient sheepfold, stone fence around the sheepfold, and the shepherd is actually lying in the doorway uh, to the sheepfold. So what would happen is the shepherd would leave the main sheepfold, he would go out into the distant reaches of his fields, there would be a remote sheep field, the sheep would go into that sheep fold, and he would roll out his bed at night, and he would lie at the entrance of the sheepfold, literally being the door. And if you had a wolf that was going to come to gobble up those sheep, the wolf would have to get by the shepherd, and the shepherd would quickly wake and the shepherd would defeat the wolf. He was literally the door guarding the sheep, keeping the sheep safe. safe. But here's the deal, though. The point of the door is that Jesus is the gateway to abundance. So let me me push the pause button on the story for a second and go go back to this. If anybody enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. Now, that sounds as if, that sounds as if what it's saying is that means that if I receive Jesus, when I die, I'll go to heaven and have eternal life. Well, that's true, but that's not exactly what he's saying here. He's not primarily talking about our future life in heaven. He's talking about our present life that begins now, the moment we come to Christ. In John, eternal life is a present possession. It's a present possession and a future destiny in heaven. It begins begins right now. So the salvation, verse 9, is a salvation from present damaging choices. It's a a deliverance from present consequences of sin. It's a deliverance toward the benefits and and the blessings that God gives. And yes, it is salvation ultimately, meaning eternal life. It's both and, it's all, it's all encompassing. I say that because he talks about he'll go in and out and find pasture. Jesus is saying, look, I am the door to present abundance right now. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. In other words, Jesus regulates how we encounter abundance. This salvation is a present salvation. Yes, it anticipates heaven, but it's a present eternal life that begins right now. Jesus' heart is that we would encounter abundance and that he would be the door to it. So what kind of abundance might that be? Well, it might be material abundance. could be a better income. I know some people who prayed, Lord, I pray you give me a new job. And they got a new job, and it bumped up their income a little bit, and it allowed them to do some things with their family they couldn't previously do. It could be a relationship abundance, where God brings you into a season where you have more friends, where you have different friends, where you have friends who lead you in a better way. It could be an abundance of skill. I know some people who have developed over the years a talent 
in addition to their job, that talent becomes a marketable talent, and now they're doing things that they really enjoy. Or it could be an abundance of family blessing. God brings you into a season where your kids are doing well, where your marriage is doing well. Jesus provides that kind of abundance. Uh, it could be an internal abundance of the soul where things could be chaotic around you, and yet you can say, you know what, I'm, I'm doing good. Even in the chaos, God seems to be pouring out His blessing. So these are, these are the way, some of the ways that, that God, God does this. Um, with Jesus as the door, Jesus wants to bring you into fields of abundance now, it's not always material. That would be sort of a prosperity theology approach. It's a, it's a beautiful, all-encompassing abundance that we sometimes have to look for. Sometimes he gives us little micro examples of abundance. And what he's asking us to do is to say, I recognize that abundance from you, Jesus. I thank you for it. And then Jesus gives us more, right? Because as we grow into greater gratitude, we then can appreciate the small abundances that God gives to us the following month or the following year. Now Jesus gives us one of the greatest verses in the Bible. I love this. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they might have life, life, and that they might have it abundantly. He's contrasting the false life that the Pharisees were giving. Keep the rule. Keep the rule. In fact, the Pharisees were saying, you can keep the external rule, and you can violate all sorts of rules in your personal life. You can sin like crazy in your personal life just so long as you keep the external rule. That was death. That's false life. Jesus says, no, I, I came that you might have real life and have it to the full. I want to give you, I want to give you abundance. Are there any sheep killers out there that you know of? A ton of sheep killers out there. I suppose on a global level, you could say that sheep killers are murderous dictators like Kim Jong-il, Joseph Stalin, Fidel Castro, Che Guevara. Sheep killers also can masquerade as Christian leaders, luring you in, wanting to control you for their own personal benefit, Jesus is a different kind of a leader. Jesus is the kind of leader who says, I want to lead you and guide you into seasons of abundance in your life that you will enjoy and that will draw you further into fellowship with me. Now we get to the third picture. He's a, a voice that beckons. He's a door that opens. He is a leader who loves. He's a leader who loves. Verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and flees. What a picture. It's the idea that, okay, I'm hired to be a shepherd. I'm hired to watch the sheep. Oh my gosh, there's a wolf out there. I'm out of here, man. These are not my sheep. I don't care. I'm out of here. I'm going to save my own skin. Uh, Jesus is not like that. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. 
I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. He repeats that twice in verses 11 through 18. This is the fourth time that Jesus uses an I am statement. He uses this I am statement in the same passage. Uh, I am the bread of life, light of the world, door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And again, he's saying, I am God and I have tangible ministries as God to you, those people who follow me. Now, I understand this. I need to give you a little bit, bit more background. In the ancient world, there was this idyllic, romanticized view of shepherds. You know how we kind of have a romanticized view of the cowboy, the rugged individualist out there somewhere in Montana, cooking his own meat that he just shot over an open fire, able to take on any challenge, any difficulty. It's sort of a romanticized view of the cowboy. Well, they, they had romanticized views of shepherds back in those days. But that was a very important leadership paradigm. So I want you to think about leadership paradigms for a second. If I say to you, CEO, does that give you a picture of somebody? If I say union boss, does that give you a leadership picture? If I say kindergarten teacher, does that give you a picture of a certain kind of a leader? If I say mafia boss, does that give you a picture of a certain kind of a leader? If I say drug cartel lord, does that give you a certain kind of picture of a leader? Yeah. So shepherd is designed to get you to think about a certain kind of leadership. This leadership is a leadership in which the shepherd is willing to lay down his life for the sheep. Is a drug cartel lord willing to lay down his life for his employees? No way. No way. Is a kindergarten teacher willing to lay down her life for her students? Sometimes. We've seen examples of that. So this is designed to give you a picture of a certain kind of leadership. This paradigm is where the shepherd is willing to lay down his life for the sheep. Now, when we first moved to Bartlesville, we had two dogs. We had Star and Ginger. And one day, I took the two dogs to Joel and Low Lake. The two dogs, like good labs, Star was chocolate, Ginger was yellow, plunged into Joel and Low Lake and went right after the ducks. Ginger realized that she couldn't get the ducks. And so she got out of the lake, she shook off, and she sat by my side. Not so with Star. Star paddled and paddled until, until he is literally sucking air. <gasps> and I thought, that dog's going to die in the lake. He's going to die. And I'm going to come home, and I'm going to tell my wife, I let your dog die in the middle of the lake. And for a moment, I thought, I'm going to rip off my shirt, dive into Joel and Lowe, and save Star. I thought, no, I am not going to do that. If he dies, he dies. That was 20 years ago. Fast forward to last summer. We are with my kids and grandkids at Puget Sound. We had, at the time, eight of our grandkids together. Four of them were on a log in Puget Sound. Two of them were non-swimmers. One of the non-swimmers had 
cast off her life jacket. That non-swimmer was going farther and farther and farther out. She slipped off the log and plunged down into the depths of the sound. I had a baby in my hand and my phone in my pocket. I carefully laid the baby down, putting my phone in her lap, and I immediately rushed out into the water and literally, as she's going like a foot under, I'm grabbing her up like this. She was okay, obviously. She was okay. So why is it that I would be willing to lay down my life for my granddaughter and not lay down my life for my chocolate lab? Why is that? I have a different role. My role as dog owner, sorry for you do animal lovers, my role as dog, as dog owner is, is not to lay down my life for my chocolate lab, who is a very disobedient dog, by the way. <laughs> but my role as a grandfather is to lay down my life for my daughter's oldest daughter. No doubt. I didn't even have to think about it. Put the baby down, put my phone in her lap, and rush into the water to save my granddaughter. And then, what am I doing all the way in? I'm, she was, a, she was terrified. What am I doing? I'm, I'm saying, Ray, I love you. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. It's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to be okay. I'm, I'm the good shepherd, the good grandfather, laying down my life for my daughter. I didn't really lay down my life because I'm, I'm here and I'm fine, right? But I didn't have to think about any sacrifice. Jesus, as the good shepherd, is willing to get involved in your pain, your mess, your chaos, and rescue you from that place and bring you into a new season of goodness and blessing. The ultimate example of this, of course, is his death on the cross, where when Jesus is on the cross, God the Father takes the sin of humanity, yours included, and places that on the account of his son. And when his son dies, God the Father says, I'm satisfied. Rod McElvain's sin is forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. He's the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Now, at this point, Jesus does something really cool because you'd think, well, that's a good deal. Jesus laying down his life for the sheep. Wouldn't it be great if other people could get in on that deal? And indeed, they can. Because in John 10, 16, he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also so that they will and they will listen to my voice so there'll be one flock and one shepherd. What he's talking about there are people who are non-Jewish people, Gentile people, Greeks and Romans and Scythians and Cappadocians and Medians and Persians and Germans and Brits and Americans and people who live in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. Because, see, you weren't of that fold. You, that was the first century. You're in the 21st century. And you've been incorporated into this big fold where your shepherd is Jesus. And somebody who's a believer in Russia, her shepherd is Jesus. And somebody who is a believer in Mongolia, his shepherd is Jesus. And a child in South Africa, her shepherd is Jesus. One fold, one flock, one shepherd. It has become a worldwide movement. So the story at this point is over. And I want you to imagine the scene. Over here is the man 
who was formerly blind, been rejected by the Pharisees, held at arm's length by his parents. Nobody wants him. Nobody claims him. Over, over here um, is Jesus, and Jesus says, come on into my fold. I'll lead you. I am the voice that beckons. I am the door that opens. I am the leader who loves. I'm a great leader. And you come to me and I will lead you into places of abundance. I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. So that's the story. Let's think about the significance of the story. The main idea of the story centers on, on how we move from brokenness to abundance. How do, how do we go from brokenness to abundance? This man who was born blind, who's now healed, has some residual brokenness about him. He's been rejected. How do you move from brokenness then to abundance? Well, the idea here is that to enjoy abundance, we must receive direct ministry from Jesus. That's how you move to a place of enjoying abundance. You receive direct ministry from Jesus. The resurrected Christ is at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, but he is also right by your side as the one who abides with you and in you. And to encounter abundance means that you receive direct ministry from Jesus as a regular part of your life. To put it another way, to encounter abundance, you don't focus on the gifts that God gives, but on God himself who ministers to us the kind of abundance that we need. See, I know that I've got a certain matrix for the abundance that I want. All right, Lord, I got, I got this, 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 and this. This is what I define as abundance. This is what I want from you. I don't ever say it that way, but that's how you could think about it. And God says, you know, what Rod needs is not, not those four aspects of abundance. What Rod needs are these four aspects of abundance because these aspects of abundance are going to provide something qualitatively better for his soul. This is what I'm going to pour out for Rod. So we, we focus on God himself who ministers to us. To encounter abundance, we've got to let ourselves be loved by Jesus in the actual place where we are right now. Boy, don't pass over that too quickly. Because allowing yourself to be loved by the Son of God where you are right now means that you recognize Jesus not only loves you, but he, he likes you. He likes you. And as the good shepherd, he wants to provide abundance, even if things are chaotic. Now, there's a positive side and a negative side to doing this. The, the negative side is this. To enter abundance, I've got to reject something. I've got to reject the fear-based, rules-driven life of the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees always talked a good game. They didn't live up to what they what they proclaimed. It's very easy for people to slip into a non-abundance way of thinking, saying, okay, have I done enough today to merit God's goodness? Have I done enough good works today to merit God's love? Have I done enough today to merit God's generosity to me? No, I really haven't. I really, I kind of messed up today. Okay, so, okay, so I guess I'm going to forfeit that abundance. 
that is rules-based, fear-based living that is the opposite of the kind of abundance that Jesus wants to provide. And to encounter abundance, we've got to thoroughly reject that rules-based, legalistic sort of thinking that thinks I've, I've got to earn up points in order for God to bless me. It's like having an American Airlines ticket. You know, okay, have I earned up enough points to get a trip to Paris, France? No, I haven't done that yet. Okay, I've got I to do more to earn up those points. That's not how it works. The other, other negative part is that we also need to make sure that we reject sin. Because, you know, what, what sin is, is it's saying, God, I don't really want you. I don't really believe you. I don't really believe that you can bring me into a place of abundance. I don't want you to be the one to give me abundance. I want the abundance on my own. I'm going to bypass what you say is abundant, and I'm going to think that my abundance is better. So we, we, to, to get abundance, we, we have to reject those forms of thinking. The positive side is we need to receive the direct ministry of Jesus. So I, I can think about probably many examples, but one example in particular, when I was growing up, we were making a dog sled in Chicago. And I worked with my friend all day, one Saturday, on a dog sled. It was a pretty rough dog sled, quite honestly. And my friend and I got to dinner time, and I realized these handles are so loose that once we push, the thing's going to snap off. So I'm going to bed, and I hear the circular saw going down in the basement. And I said to my mom, hey, what's, what's Dad doing? Well, Dad saw that your handles were going to come off, so he decided to shore it up, and he's, and he's, he's building some supports to that. And in my mind, I said, yes, yes. As if to say, thank you, Dad, for doing that. Because my dad was so good at tinkering and toying with different things, and I knew that if my dad did this, it would be really well done. That following week for a Boy Scout thing, we took that, that dog sled out, and it worked reasonably well. It worked. But, you know, I, I was willing to receive that direct input from my dad because I knew that my dad would do it well. I had a heart to receive, to receive that. Jesus wants to bring his direct ministry into your life. But you have to be in a place where you're willing to receive it. So let me close with four takeaways, how this works in practice. Takeaway number one, to enjoy abundance, remember your essential nature. You are a sheep. And this is the great picture of, of you as a sheep. <laughs> I don't know what that sheep's thinking, but I'm thinking I've had that attitude as a sheep before. Sheep are not powerful. They don't have all the answers. They're not particularly smart. They sometimes smell. They need lots of patience and love. We're sheep. And I want to know if you can accept your sheep-like nature. If you want the abundance of God, you've got to accept the fact that you're a sheep, right? You've got to accept that fact. You know, we can think we're pretty hot stuff. But then we, we, uh, we face challenges and difficulties, and we soon realize I'm not as strong as I thought I was. Have you ever, 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 ever happened to you? You think, I'm hot stuff, I'm racking up successes and degrees, and I'm... I'm 
I've got accomplishments and achievements. I'm amazing. I'm hot stuff. It doesn't take much to make you realize, nope, I'm not. You're going to think this is really weird, but I had, a, I had a minor surgical procedure about three months ago, four months ago, and I'm, 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 I was going to have to have some anesthesia. I said to myself, I am going to see if I can beat the anesthesia. Like, I'm going to power up against it. I'm just going to see if I can. I'm going to power up against it. So uh, I'm, I'm lying there, and I'm talking, and, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm, I'm going to power up against it. I'm not going to let it get me. I'm going to see how long I can hold out against it. One push, I'm out. Okay? We are not as strong as we think we are. And to receive the abundance of God, you've got to reckon on the fact that I am a sheep. I need a shepherd. I need my shepherd to regulate the kind of abundance that he brings my way. Here's a second takeaway. To enjoy abundance, reject the false shepherds. There are a lot of false shepherds out there. Some false shepherds are evil, abusive people. The religious leaders in Jesus' day were evil, abusive people. There are people like that in the church across the nation. There are people like that in churches around the world. They are evil abusers, and they know that they can become sheep-like by putting clothing around themselves. They can look like sheep, and they're wolves in sheep's clothing. There are other false shepherds um, who, <coughs> who um, are fundamentally nice people, but they're unstable. And it's important that we, that we reject false shepherds. We need to be, to be uh, savvy against those who would be false shepherds and lead us down the wrong path. A third takeaway is that we need to receive direct ministry from Jesus as a discipline. Now, I've told you this before in this message we got to receive that direct ministry. This is a spiritual discipline where we wake up in the morning and even with outstretched hands say, Jesus, I receive direct ministry from you today. I receive whatever blessing you have for me today. I receive what you have for me today, whether it's a trial, whether it's a difficulty, and I will recognize when there is blessing that comes my way and give you thanks. Look, this is a discipline. It's not something that happens automatically. If we let ourselves go into spiritual autopilot, it, it will not happen. So this is, a, this is a discipline, and it happens through His Spirit. And then finally, to enjoy abundance, we've got to celebrate the diversity in the body of Christ. I go back to that statement where Jesus says, I've got, I've got other sheep who are not of this particular fold. Like, I've got, I've got sheep waiting to come to me from Europe and Asia and Africa and South America. I've got sheep waiting to come to me from the Pacific Rim countries. And what Jesus is talking about is one flock, one shepherd. I will tell you, God is highly glorified when we enjoy unity in the body of Christ from people of different nationalities, different races, different linguistic backgrounds. He loves that when we are able to enjoy unity in the body of Christ. One flock, one shepherd. And when we, we embrace that, that's a, that's a, a, that's a big thing. So <clears throat> here's, the, here's the bottom line. Bottom line is, 
that uh, Jesus loves to take broken people and bring them into abundance. You're a broken person at some level. You're human. God loves to take you and bring you into places of abundance. It comes through Jesus. His ministry is the voice who beckons, the door that opens, the leader who loves. I want to close with this one verse, this amazing verse. Deuteronomy 30, verse 9. For the Lord your God will take delight in prospering you. Take delight in prospering you. It's the idea that God doesn't just say, okay, okay, fine. I'll give Rod some abundance today. Doesn't do that. God takes delight in taking broken people and regulating the kind of abundance that they uh, genuinely need as they pursue their life. With that in mind, we want to transition to communion. And so um, I'm going to turn the lights down down low, and I I want to just remind you um, that this is a table of abundance. And what Jesus said was, um, he said, when he took the bread, he said, this is the bread. He, He broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take this in memory of me. He took the wine um, after supper. He said, this cup represents the new covenant of my blood. Take this in memory of me. He said, I want you to continue to do this until I come back. This is a discipline, a habit that I want you to do to celebrate the fact that our salvation is rooted in the cross. And so as you come this morning, I encourage you to think about the abundance that you have received because of the cross. Father God, as we uh, begin to take communion, we, we come in humility and in gratitude that you are the God who pours out abundance upon our lives. And you even regulate the kind of abundance that we need, giving it to us exactly when we need it. Lord, we thank you that we can enjoy the Lord's Supper with that in mind this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.